Well, good morning, good day, good evening. It is officially Monday. It is May 9th, 2022, and it is a brand new day. And while I am so glad you're here, uh, I have to admit, you know, I'm recording this the day before. Uh, I had already recorded this podcast, and I had so many ideas around it, I decided to redo it because I wanted to shape it in a little different way. And so I'm over here in a abandoned uh, building, basically, <laughs> so it might be a little echoey, uh, and was all ready to re-record it when I got a really snotty email from uh, a guy who's actually my oldest follower telling me to get off my lazy ass and get a job. Uh, he lives in Sweden. He's never donated a dime, but he has taken up ridiculous amounts of my time with his stupid effing comments and emails that I've had to moderate. They were so inappropriate. Uh, so that was really upsetting uh, because it doesn't take much you know, criticism for me to have to really... Uh, bring myself back around to understanding that's his issue not mine there is something wrong with him he's not mentally all there but the contrast was I'm sitting here ready to talk to you about a subject that is so big and so difficult and so monumental that most of us you know have never had to experience and I was watching of some of the video that I want to accompany this audio and so I've been crying about that because the imagery and the emotions are overwhelming and that has been you know the dedication of my life right how do we stop these horrible things and I just thought the contrast of getting that, I actually got that email a day ago, I just haven't been able to see it. I finally uh, haven't been feeling good, so I didn't check the internet yesterday. And uh, the contrast, and you know, I had actually come to this conclusion, you know, a couple days ago listening to other people thinking there's never going to be an end to all of this because so many more people don't understand what this world is about, do not have kindness and Uh, charity and humanity or humanitarianism in their hearts and I know that intellectually but emotionally it still gets to me and that's what's going to be so important about this conversation today and the conversation today is going to be about how are you going to deal with seeing the destruction the hunger the suffering Most of us have only observed it at a distance. Very few people, uh, I believe, I don't know you, but there may be some of you who have worked in refugee camps, who have been overseas, have been places where the suffering was so dramatic that you can never get the images out of your mind. And, uh, you know, when I started all this work a long, long time ago, you know, recognizing that people like me who had nervous systems to run into the danger, uh, we also needed a very specific kind of assistance with that. And at the time, it was an emerging field, and it was called secondary trauma, vicarious trauma. Uh, Some people still call it uh, post-traumatic stress, but it's different when it's something that you're witnessing versus 
experiencing the trauma yourself. So it's sort of like if you're the one that's being beaten up and attacked, it's different than witnessing somebody else being beaten up and attacked. But the real break apart comes when you're witnessing someone else being attacked over and over and over again. And it's something that we are recognizing. Uh, I still don't think we know what to do with it. That was one of the reasons why I had started this work a long time ago, but uh, you know, I got off that when you know my own personal life took a lot of changes. And uh, it's something that people who are wired for danger, people who have a strong fight response, they're not good at asking for help. They're not good at understanding what's happening to them. And the downside of the good feeling, you know, the good feeling is running towards the fight and being in the fight. But the other side of that bell curve, the coming down part is horrific. And one of the ways people deal with it is they go back in and the statistics are just amazing about uh, especially refugee workers that they come home and they have to go back and uh, eventually it kills them you know maybe not physically but emotionally because you cannot sustain horrific experiences you know overwhelming emotions uh, imagery sounds smells violence suffering there is an end to the capacity that you can take in. And, you know, I think one of the most interesting things is we think about someone like Mother Teresa, who was constantly in the midst of great suffering. Uh, and it wasn't until after she died and they showed her letters that she was severely depressed uh, because she never had a break. And when we try to take breaks, we get criticized or punished, right? By, oh, you're weak. Or we may tell that to ourselves. Or, you know, you get people like this guy who who don't see value in being involved in these kinds of things. And, you know, I have been at this for so long. You know, my journey was how do you end the suffering? And you never can end it at the point of contact. So, when the hunger is the worst, when the war is extreme, there is no way to fix things in that moment. And the real healing that I talked about, health versus healing. So it's not a health thing, it's a healing thing. There's four steps to these crises, this crucible. There's getting ready for it, preparing for it. There's having the crucible experience. There's the immediate aftermath where you've got to have some downtime, you've got to put yourself back together again. And then there's a fourth stage when you have to process it. Now, most people don't get to that fourth stage because it involves information that you don't want to know. It, it involves, you know, for me, it means you can't save the world. And what then what do you do? What do you do when your whole life is dedicated to saving the world and you can't do it? And so this original quest for me has always been the same one, right? How do I end suffering? And it's been one question over, you know, five decades now and uh, arriving at an answer that I didn't want. But it doesn't mean that we just sit here and don't do anything. And there becomes the practical. And the same way we have practical health, we have to have a practical response to the overwhelming suffering that's going to be coming at us and that was really the origin of the of my intention 
with this particular podcast. And I think it will extend because as I was uh, digging around, I was reminded of a young man named Dan Eldman. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. There's a movie called The Journey is the Destination. Uh, You can rent it. Uh, I know it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still free there. But uh, he was 22. He was uh, born in Kenya, and he was an adventurer. He created the most fabulous art journals and photographic imagery ever, and he was a war correspondent. Uh, and he would do what he called life as a safari. And I could relate to him so much because I can see with his kind of eye and I have that need for that kind of adventure. And while I would love to be able to make those kinds of journals, uh, I've never given myself permission 50 years later, even though that's the imagery that floats in my mind, because I tell myself that doesn't have any value. And that was sort of the other half of this conversation that I wanted to get to is journaling is not enough. Sometimes these processes that we're talking about, they're not enough. So that's kind of the second intro to this big humongous topic that is so important and so unwanted and yet so necessary. And to not address these things is sort of like denying the soul and the heart food and water because it's more important to go watch a movie, I mean, or play a video game. I mean, that's really kind of where we're at in terms of what we have reversed, right? We'll put all this money into entertainment, into jobs that are stupid and meaningless, but we won't do the real work that we came into the world for and we dismiss it as frivolous. And it is only really those who are wired for danger I have found that are willing to look at the real truth because the real truth is so horrific that it takes so much courage and fortitude to see it and not let it pull you apart. And what had happened is when I was talking about this, I was reminded of the photograph, and I'm going to put it in a video below, uh, of a buzzard and a little girl getting ready to die in Africa. And as I was talking about this idea of famine, you know, in the first podcast, about how we're going to deal with watching people who are hungry, uh, it had flashed into my mind that this photographer had taken this picture. Uh, He had walked away. He hadn't done anything. And he ended up committing suicide after he won the Pulitzer Prize for it. Uh, And as I'm posting a, a short documentary video on his life too. I didn't realize how how deep his despair was among other things but what was interesting in this little docu video that I'm posting on his name Kevin Carter it also calls about something calls about talks about something called the bystander effect and I hadn't thought about that because I'm not wired that way that people watch bad things happen and the more people there are the fewer people that are involved and I'm not like that you know I have strong memories of uh, you know when I was 18, being in a group of 100 uh, and being only one of two people who was defiant to the group mind manipulation that was being perpetrated upon us. Uh, I, in fact, if I know anything, it's my energy always goes against whatever the big group think is. And so I recognize that I'm not normal. I don't have that normal response of what most people will call the bystander effect, which is really just the freeze response and the flight response. It's a way of 
coping with something that you don't know what to do with. And so it's not a judgment or a right or wrong, but the power lies in understanding who we are. And I was bringing the subject up because what's even more important is making the decisions ahead of time, running through some of these scenarios intellectually in your mind, visualizing them as a way to be able to get through them because in the crisis point, you are least effective. You're most likely to make a bad decision. You're most, you're much more likely to be devastated uh, and have regret. And what we're moving into is a time where it's not like a war zone where you go and visit, you do your thing, whether it's photography or refugee work or mercenary work or political work, whatever it is, and then you come home and you have your normal life. Uh, we're moving into a time where, like the people that we're witnessing, you know, in these photographs, like it's 24-7, 365, there's nowhere to go. It will go on for years before there is any significant change, and none of us know what that change is going to be, if it's going to be worse or if it will get better. I think the only thing we can agree on is it will be different. But most people have not had long-term exposure to overwhelming suffering. Uh, and when I was thinking about that, I was reminded of, you know, so often these uh, charities, right, animal charities in particular, they send you pictures of starving, abused, and neglected animals trying to get you to give money. Uh, what's fascinating is that uh, statistically, if you show somebody that kind of picture, they're least, less likely to respond. Uh, this, the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary figured that out. Uh, they started showing happy stories of animals already recovered with brief mention of the horror of their past. And their donations went through the roof. They were incredibly, and as far as I know, still are incredibly successful because they didn't show you the suffering. They showed you what happens after the suffering has been corrected. Now, I just tell you that because I'm trying to expand your awareness about how much of witnessing a strong, painful, emotional uh, experience, being part of it, not having it be on TV, not having it be a story, but being physically in proximity to an animal that's starving, to a child that's starving, how you know, people here, you guys are good, kind-hearted people and everything in you will want to help. And normally that's awesome, right? You say, oh, I have extra money, I'm going to give money. Uh, you know, I think what's been fascinating about this particular moment in time and it's so important to moving forward is so many of the charities, especially for children that we've supported as they've shown us pictures of starving children and orphans and how wonderful they are that they've taken them off the streets and they're taking care of them. When what's really going on is those children are being trafficked and abused sexually. So it's, it's important to note that because the overwhelming emotional signaling that will happen when you see something will get you off track in your capacity to respond to it whether you're compelled to run towards it whether you're afraid and run away from it or whether you just shut down uh, 
anybody who is predatory will read your response and act accordingly. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't help anybody, but what I'm saying is that right now we're going to be moving into a time where it's going to be different in the future than it has been in the past. Uh, you know, if you had extra, uh, and the reason I want to say, the reason I brought this up is it came up where I'm staying, where uh, I don't do Facebook, but this all transpired over Facebook. Uh, hey, I have this. Let me know if you, anybody wants to buy it. And then somebody called and the buy it became, can you go get me more? Uh, can you now deliver it? And then it became, uh, I don't have any money. Uh, can I pay you later? To let me just drive over now and give you a bunch of free stuff. So the initial point of contact was a business point of contact. And then after additional funds were spent, everything was done at a deficit for the person who was selling the original product because the heartstrings got pulled. Now, that's everybody's had that happen, uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, that's okay. But if we move into a point of time where there is no additional resources, like you have this amount of food to last you and your uh, circle, uh, and somebody comes up and asks you for extra, do you say yes or do you say no? If you see a child laying in the street starving, do you go up to it, the child, and try to help? Uh, only to be then surrounded by 10 men with weapons and you have to take them back and you're robbed of everything. Uh, do you rescue a woman who's being attacked and only to find out that you are now being captured and sold into slavery? So it's you know, I can't even believe we're having these conversations because we don't have that as part of our world for the most part here in the first world, but we are now descending into third world status. We are descending into becoming the refugees and we are moving into a moment of time, very high probability. I mean, I won't say 100%, but we're moving into a time where these things might be very real and fatal or catastrophic. And so why I wanted to talk about this was that this is the kind of thing that I believe is helpful to think about ahead of time, to make decisions ahead of time. And, you know, I've shared repeatedly about my snake stories is I always make the decision whether I'm gonna let the snake go or not ahead of time. Because what I found was when I hesitated, I did not take action. And that was not a big deal, you know, in the tiny world of my little rattlesnakes and such, but it was a risk because I usually only dealt with the ones. For me, the decision was uh, food and territory. That's the way I made my decisions, was the way animal and nature does. If my food supply or my territory was being threatened, and that included, you know, the lives of my animals, then I would take action. Anything else that happened beyond the perimeter, uh, every, it was, everybody got let go. There was no interaction. If you were a mile away from my trailer, I didn't do anything to you because you're a mile away. Uh, so that's how I made my decisions intellectually to help me manage the emotions of the experience because I do not like to kill things. I don't like to kill ants. I don't like to kill spiders. I don't like to kill anything. In fact, one of the uh, great unknowns is, you know, 
I probably end up killing 50% of those little tiny things that I try and save, right? Like pulling the moths out of the water, uh, you know, trying to get an ant somewhere else. I mean, it's amazing to me how often I have tried to save something and ended up, you know, making things worse. And so I don't have any good answers about this, but I really, really, really strongly uh, encourage you to think about it. And I'm doing the same thing. You know, I had decided a long time ago, if we ever got in this kind of situation, if I was part of a community, especially as an older person now, uh, I wouldn't take the food from the young, the young. I would, you know, I would not eat if it was an issue between the ability of a younger person to survive versus myself because my time is over in terms of the future, right? Uh, but what I learned, you know, through my social work, et cetera, and just talking to people is people in their 80s and 90s who have the mentality that their life should take a priority. Uh, you know, that they would sacrifice anyone and anything so that they could live. I think we saw that on the Titanic, right? The the rich people, no matter how old they were, believed they had the right to live over poor children. And, you know, that's how they made their decisions. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying just because you have a good and kind heart, do not believe anybody else does. Do not believe that people will lie and manipulate and uh, use you in a way that will serve them. Uh, and the really good predators will do it without you even knowing it's happening because it will happen in a casual conversation. And I'm so guilty of this too, just letting things slip. Uh, about revealing where you are, what you have. Uh, you know, it will be simple as if there's starvation, are you losing weight or are you not losing weight and everybody else is losing weight? Uh, you know, it could be as simple as buying pants and a belt that are too big and, you know, looking like you're losing weight uh, if you have plenty to eat because we do not understand what it's like to be hungry with no hope of having everything be okay because in the past there were other countries that would come to the rescue we are looking at a global problem not a regional or country or even continental problem right it's not one continent that's in trouble and all the other continents are okay. Uh, it's going to be really, really difficult. And what I've learned, you know, in, in dealing with a lot of these things is to just make some intellectual decisions about how I want to respond regardless of what I am physically seeing in front of my eyes and hearing and feeling and smelling uh, and touching because that sensory experience and that emotional experience are overwhelming and in these kinds of instances doing the right thing being kind is the kind of thing that can get you killed and maybe that's okay you know one of the reasons I wanted to show the the documentary on the Kevin Carter the photographer is that uh you know, he didn't get killed 
and these two, I guess two of them now that I say it out loud. So the first one, Kevin Carter got killed because he committed suicide because the emotions of it was so overwhelming. It wasn't just that. It was, you know, a lifetime and depression that I'm sure that nobody uh, knew how to help him with. He didn't know how to ask for help for because he was definitely a run into the danger type of guy. And he was a young man and you're not supposed to feel that way. And uh, and he was in a situation that I have said repeatedly, like life shouldn't be this hard. Why have we, why do we live in a world that has wild abundance in every way, shape, or form, and we have good people committing suicide because they can't pay for their farm, they can't buy food, they don't have shelter, because we have people like the snotty. Uh, commenter who lives in Sweden where everything is subsidized by vast oil reserves it's not socialism that works they have all this money that they made from oil that they put into the social welfare system that gives people the illusion that somehow the system works it's not it's capitalism with a lot of social welfare and so it's easy to sit on your butt in an apartment with a government job and a subsidized lifestyle where you will never be thrown out, although that's changing with immigration, right? But where everything is available to you and to make judgments about what other people are doing or trying to do. And so most of us have no idea what it's like. And I cannot think of anything worse than having to try to make these kinds of decisions in the future. And I absolutely do not have a short and simple answer for you because you really aren't going to know what you're going to do until you get there. In the same way that I may have, uh, you know, seen the snake, I might have gone into the house and I had an outfit. I put on boots, long leather gloves. I had a walking stick and a machete knife. And the walking stick had a little hook on the end of it and I would hold the snake's head down and then I would chop it off but I would be at a distance so I felt safe and I wasn't going to get hurt and uh, sometimes I couldn't get it it would run away sometimes it would keep moving around so much I couldn't get you know a good handle on it and then the longer that would go on uh, you know, a lot of times I just like, I can't do it. It's, you know, you're fighting too hard to live. I feel bad. Now I want, you know, I'm causing suffering and I would just give up. So just because you make an intellectual decision to, to protect or whatever doesn't mean it will go that way. It is, when you're a good person, it is so hard to watch suffering. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I can't do social work because, People think, oh, well, you know, just take care of it. Well, there's no systems in place to take care of everybody. And as I have mentioned before, oh, actually, I mentioned it in the previous one. I, You know, 99% of the time when you try to help, people would respond with, is that all? Right? It's like no good deed goes unpunished. The people who I call professional victims put all their energy into figuring out how they can get stuff and they do it by making you feel guilty, by making you feel uncomfortable, by manipulating you emotionally so that they don't have to go do anything but they want to get something from you and you do it, you sacrifice. Uh, and that's, you know, that is, even though you can intellectually know that, you know, a lot of times those people, like I can tell you right now, there's someone around the corner, there are animals starving and children suffering because the 
male adult is an asshole and he will not take care of them he will not provide them for them and everybody knows what's going on over there and there's nothing you can do about it and so it and they will frequently apparently get other people to give to them uh, and he will make no effort and he's a man that's young enough that can make a lot of effort and he won't physically do what it takes to provide for his immediate circle and his immediate family but boy he's first in line if there's anything free to go get so it is such a difficult conversation and you know as I was looking at Dan Eldman who's the one that has he was the photographer who uh, wanted to do the right thing so he didn't commit suicide he went to go take pictures and ended up being killed because the crowd turned on him. No good deed goes unpunished. But his life has inspired so many people. And his art and his photography have inspired so many people. So, you know, he's probably done infinitely more good in losing his life than he would have been able to do in living it. Now, I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying we don't understand the bigger picture. But he was a young man. He was 22. It's hard to imagine, you know, how that happened. But, you know, in such a good heart, like it was all about helping people and how it always seems no good deed goes unpunished. So, I, you know, I don't have good answers. I can answer all of this for you you know, in a way that nobody would understand and it, nobody would want to know what the answer is. But none of that intellectual understanding really addresses the deep emotional hurt of all of it, the pain and suffering of all of it. And, you know, people respond by, you know, addiction. They respond by suicide. They respond by depression, uh, by walking away, by just not looking at me. I can't do social work anymore. I mean, it's just a, it's a never ending pit. You know, I've, I, it's hard to explain to people, especially, you know, doing this kind of thing. It's like, why do you live that way? Why do you do that way? Because I know direct one-on-one help is the least effective and I don't have any life left to give to that, right? It took everything out of me. It cost me physically. It cost me emotionally. It cost me my youth, right? It's the price I pay for quote unquote trying to do the right thing and help people is something that nobody understands, right? So we just have this guy who sees, oh, lazy, go get a job when Uh, you know 20 plus years of that and I know that that doesn't help that doesn't change the core issue and you know everything I do with you is not overt but subtly moving us all closer to how we really change the core issue Uh, and what's happening now as we move away from a time where we could get anything and we had the luxury of feelings, we had the luxury of processing, we had the luxury of leaving the war zone and healing if we wanted to. We had the luxury of some kind of system where we could reestablish our health. Uh, Those things are all on the verge of being taken away. And so building in some kind of system that you can take care of yourself through this you know and for me journaling is a powerful powerful piece of it but it's not enough it doesn't take away the images you know the 
it doesn't take away the emotions. You know, it's very, very difficult to have to see intense suffering happening, uh, especially when you can't do anything. Uh, but I think what will be even more difficult is having to make a decision about what you will or won't do. Uh, you know, part of it is if I don't go look at the problem, then I don't have to respond to the problem. But when I am within, you know, a few feet of hunger or a few feet of of suffering, you know, that is way, way more difficult. So I do not have, you know, a fast, easy answer for you. But I can tell you that, you know, of everything coming down the pike, this is the thing I dread the most. I do not like to see animal and children suffer. Uh, you know, adults, I can move on. But children and animals suffering is extremely difficult to witness especially when it's done at a level of cruelty that is something that does not live in my world and I'm sure it doesn't live in yours and uh, how do you deal with that when do you intervene when do you walk away how do you make those decisions uh, and so you know it's something I've done in the past but I have been you know sort of hesitant about thinking about it from now on into the future because it's becoming real uh, and I've been totally isolated and now I am more physically in proximity to others and I'm in physical proximity to others who will make decisions that are different than mine quite possibly and that will affect me quite possibly and so None of this is simple. None of this is easy. And I, I just can't imagine anything more important uh, for some slim chance of sanity and getting to the other side of this without being screwed up, right? I mean, unless you're just lucky enough to be out in the middle of nowhere in a cave and you ride it out for three years and you poke your little head out and go, oh, well, everything's over. Now we're just in the rebuild phase, right? <laughs> and maybe that will be you. I don't know. Maybe the space station people will be okay. I don't know. But... Uh, and maybe, you know, you'll die tomorrow and it will be a, maybe a wasted exercise. But it really isn't because anything you can do to put your heart and your soul and your spirit in a positive way into the ethers, uh, to me, that's how we make change. We create that possibility, that idea. So any idea you can visualize and imagine, uh, not from an angry, defensive place, but from a place of love and strength that you put into the ethers, that is how you change the world. Not down here, but within the heart and within the spirit and within the soul. And because we don't have a price tag for that, we don't value it. But when you've been through everything else, when you've tried everything else, uh, like the last conversation, we return to the invisible. Uh, because the physical world and the physical body don't hold the answers for everyone and all things in all ways because there's nothing but really stupid, useless decisions that go on here. I mean, just you look at the headlines and you're like, I can't even believe this is happening, right? I mean, there's nothing logical or common sense about the physical world or our physical bodies and the answers just don't lie there. So there is so much here. I put some videos below to give you kind of a window into what I'm talking about. Uh, some of the imagery is very difficult to look at. Uh, I'm like you. I don't like to see those things, but I am recognizing that we are fast approaching a time where it will be easier 
as I use that term loosely, to make some decisions about how you will handle these situations if you allow yourself to think about it ahead of time because the impulse will be to help uh, and it may not be that you're helping anybody but you're just setting yourself up to be the victim Uh, and I don't want that for you because again I know you are all good kind people with maybe an exception that I don't won't put his name out here but in your hearts you all want to do the right thing but we're entering a moment where the right thing might be not the right thing for you maybe it is I don't know I can't tell you what your destiny I can't talk about your spirit or your heart Uh, and you know there's lots of things I would die for so I totally understand that too Uh, It's just we're entering a really difficult period and we haven't even got to the hard part yet. So uh, I wish you luck. Uh, I know this is one of those things. If you've made it this far, congratulations. I don't want to think about this either. Uh, And I spent a long time crying before I could even get up and do this because I don't want this to be true. It's so painful. But we are here. Uh, We are fast approaching here and it is going to be really difficult to make some decisions about how we're going to manage what is fast approaching our here and now. All right, well, we'll do more later, but I just wanted to get this out this morning. Happy Monday. (laughs) Don't forget to do some deep breathing, get the heaviness out, and I, my friends, will see you next time.